you are being watched. The government has a secret system. A podcast that recounts every episode of Person of Interest. I know, because we made it. We designed the podcast to continue our bullshit, but we see everything. Random numbers of the week. People like you. Episodes the average viewer deems irrelevant. You wouldn't watch it, so we did. But I needed partners. Someone who had never watched this before. Hunted by weirdos on the internet, we record in secret. You will never find them. But, newbie or diehard, if your episode's up, we will find you. Hello, and welcome to the Library for Podcast of Interest. This is the Rewatch Podcast for Person of Interest, featuring two veteran operatives and one newly initiated. My name is Justin, and joining me are my two associates, my veteran operative, Jude, and our new recruit, Anna. Jude, Anna, how you doing? Well, uh, as of Friday, at least fairly, I have like less bodily auto- autonomy than a corpse, so, so you know, th- things are going great. Mm. Yep. I've just been in shock. Yeah, uh, I would describe the emotion in my household as uh, barely contained fury. My wife is not handling uh, the Supreme Court's decision with a great deal of grace, nor should she, to be clear. I don't want to imply that that I expect her to just say that there's there's been a lot of a lot of angry comments over here. Mostly, I just wish I hadn't already unfriended all of my old racist family members. Uh, so that I could get into fights on Facebook with them, because I feel like that would be super cathartic. But I didn't have that many to begin with, and I unfriended them all already years ago. So, well, I feel I feel like when it comes to arguments like that, the the proverb of you know it's like it's like wrestling with a pig. You know, both of you get dirty, and only the pig enjoys it. Yeah, true. But I really would like to have like a face to say all of the really like biting rhetoric that I have in mind too. Valid. Otherwise I'm just shouting into the void. So I'd like, I would, I think, I, I think part of me would enjoy being able to call a specific person like a, you know, X, Y, Z. I am okay. I don't know. How, how many times can I complain about work? I read a shit ton of books recently. It's good. Tell me about, tell me about one of the books you read because I need something. I need something positive to, Get into this recording. Otherwise, this is just going to be a bummer and nobody's going to listen to this fucking podcast. What? A, okay, well, let's see. What are the really dope books that I have read recently? I reread all of the Tex Kalan books. Um, both of them. All of them. Both of them. Uh, which are fucking fantastic and everyone should read them. And then I moved on and I read a... It was all right. Uh, a book about that was like a rewrite of the... Alexander the Great myth, except Alexander is a queer woman in the future who's like a the the daughter of a space general. I don't know. It was weird. Cool. It was a cool. It was a cool book. Sounds pretty interesting. Uh, and then I read. Uh, right now, I'm reading one that is about blood mages that <laughs> appears to be like somebody mashed Greek mythology with like Aztec philosophy and just kind of shook it. In a in a box labeled YA tropes. Cool. It's a very strange book, but I'm enjoying cool. it. Cool. Yeah. I know you've also been reading the uh, the White Rat books by T. Kingfisher as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I plowed through all of those a couple of months ago, uh, and I've been reading like all of Kingfisher's various books in general, uh, which are great. All of uh, the way she depicts Knowles is my favorite of all time. 
and any listeners who would perhaps like to listen to us talk to Ursula Vernon, a.k.a. T. Kingfisher, uh, we've got that episode coming up in the other podcast, or it might be out by the point this airs. Shut the front door. That's Ursula. You guys got to talk to mm-hmm. Ursula Vernon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> what are we talking about? Which episodes are we talking about tonight, uh, Justin? We are doing episodes 20 and 21 of season one. Uh, Matsya Nyaya. I'm sorry I'm butchering that name. Um, and many happy returns. I don't remember who got what. Somebody take it away. Uh, well, you cheated at dibs, so I ended up not. I'm sorry. I called actual dibs. You just you just lied. Uh, there's Anna. no record of that. There is no record of that. Whereas I have a written I have written receipts showing I called dibs, uh, but I was denied. So I have ended up with episode 20, Matsya Nayaya, uh, written by Ray Utarnichit. Wow, that's I don't even know what to do with that one. Uh, directed by Kevin Bray. Darn it, shit. That sounds like a Narn name. So, a brief summary of the episode. We have an extended flashback this week in the form of the end of John's association with his partner, Kara. Just as he's about to run back to Jessica after she calls him for help, he and Kara are sent to the improbably named Chinese company town, Ordos. I have notes on that, though. To retrieve a laptop. Snow tells him uh, he's also to retire Kara as she's dirty. The town is a ghost town full of corpses, but they find the laptop. While they wait for extraction, Kara shoots him, having gotten the same orders from Snow that he did, and John realizes that the CIA is cleaning up and flees just before their extraction site is bombed, killing, air quotes, Kara. Meanwhile, in the present, this week's number is Tommy, a seemingly good-natured armored truck guard who it transpires has taken to robbing his own trucks for platinum in order to build a new life with his side piece, the waitress at his favorite diner. Little does he know that he's being played, and innocent little Ashley is using him as a patsy. She shoots him before John can intervene, only to be killed herself by one of the HR police captains before she can flee with the platinum. The police captain is about to kill John when Fusco walks in, saves John, and kills the captain. In the end of the episode, Stinger, Snow and his unnamed partner of the shitty sniping break into the hotel into a hotel room thinking that it's John's only to discover heels. What is this new information we're learning about Reese? No, Uh, the partner is killed and it transpires that this is Kara's hotel room. Dun, dun, dun. Snow is taken hostage. Um, That's it. That's the episode. Uh, So the note I want to make real quick about Ordos. Uh, I assumed that this was some like dumb name that the, the writers had made up. Cause it's like, Ordos Chaoso. Like I thought they were making some like dumb shitty play on words. No, this is in fact an actual place in China. Wild. It is named Ordos because it is a word in the local Mongolian dialect that means palaces. Uh, the city is a notorious ghost yeah. town, uh, because of the high taxes and low construction quality. But it's like, an entire gigantic city. This is a thing that China does is they build these gigantic cities and then just tell people, okay, go live here now. But in this case, due to the location, the high taxes, the low construction quality, nobody wanted to live there. So there's this whole city out in inner Mongolia that nobody really lives in. Wild. Yeah. And it's called Ordos. So how about that? I thought the name was made up and it's not. I learned something from Wikipedia today. See, I mentioned I, I when I originally heard it, I thought Warhammer. Um, 
but but yeah, no, I looked at I looked it up as well just because I was curious because uh, th- this is a show that doesn't often make up places. Yeah, that's why the name sounded so stupid. Like Ordos China. What am I going to go to? Like Frankfurter, <laughs> Italy? Like. I mean, that's like, it just sounds very, like, out of place, but... Yeah, you mean the interesting part of the episode? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I want to talk about the flashback, most, like, first and foremost. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, you know, no, l- let's, you know, l- let's talk, let's talk about the main, yeah. let's talk about the main plot first. This is yeah. firmly a, okay, yep. we have our deserves it asshole like like you know our axis this guy is both an asshole and absolutely deserves what's getting coming to him the, yeah the only like he he does des- like he is an asshole he turns his back he like you know i've worked a sec- i've worked a security guard stint it's not it's fun it's not fun it's boring i i thoroughly hated it dude knocked over an armored car backstabbed hr backstabbed a lot of people his co-workers hr um No, the only interesting thing about the present day plot in this episode is that Tommy is played by someone whose face and ass you may recognize. Uh, He is played by Pablo Schreer, who also plays Master Chief in the new Halo television series, uh, in which you may have seen uh, his butt, uh, as well as him making... First time whoopee with an alien lady. I don't know. It's a weird show. Um, I mean, I haven't played a lot of Halo, but I don't seem to recall there being butts in it. Does the suit jack him off, though? Uh, or or him taking his helmet off, which was the first problem when he took his helmet off in the first episode. This seems like the, the opposite of how Halo should be. Yeah, he spends almost no time with his helmet on in the show. I mean, he takes it he, he takes he takes it off at the end of the at the end of the first game, but you don't see. This it. is a thing that has been said by fans. Had they not watched The Mandalorian? Yeah, it is. It is a thing where producers think, well, if he's helmeted all the time, the audience can't empathize with him. Checked mm, in yeah. with a fan base. Yeah this this is probably a point where the like production on those two series was happening simultaneously. And so there hadn't been this. So probably it was a thing of like, oh no, you've got to you've got to put him in the the because like the the, yeah. the delay between a high production television series or movie being filmed and going in, especially in like that first season, there's just such a huge delay there that like and stuff gets changed so often. Yeah, but it's probably like by the time they had finished filming the season of Halo, the Mandalorian season one might not have even come out yet. <laughs> To be fair, I thought it was an interesting show, but I don't care at all about Halo. Uh, And everyone (laughs) I do know that cares about Halo uh, had some real beef with a lot of it. Uh, I think the only thing that people liked was that a a number of my friends liked was Cortana. They thought that she was really well done. Um, And the first person mode. It had multiple scenes that were in like first person shooter mode that to me, mm. just looked mm. exactly like the scenes from Doom, where the, where it goes first person shoot. Yeah. Anyway, that sounds like uh, that sounds like how to give me motion sickness. Oh, it in would. Like, uh huh. One in one easy step. Anyway, uh, that's <laughs> anyway. that's Tommy. Uh, so if you watch this episode and you feel an overwhelming desire to see Tommy's ass, uh, I have a TV show to recommend you. Otherwise, 
he's also like he is firmly in the category of dudes who are yep. doing something awful for a woman and i can't give a shit like the only redeeming quality of this yeah. one is that the woman it's cheats like, him and it's like it's wild because it's an episode with so many twists like the main plot has like twist after twist and after twist and yet it's completely unmemorable and like because what it is is these are twists that are like especially the one at the end with not not yeah. not Fusco's. Fusco's is cool and good and earned. Where his but where, where his, his waitress girl is like all of a sudden like bam shoots him and you're just like where did this come from? Nothing in the episode showed that this was happening or this was going to be the way, how it went yeah. down. Yeah, which, you know, it's just, it's, maybe if there was, like, one yeah. less twist in this episode, fine. Yeah. And the fact that, and like, and, like, maybe it's the parallelism of that, like, like, the parallelism, like, you're supposed to, like, oh, hey, these are, these are two things that are happening at the same time. Like, it's the law of the fishes, the, you know, the big fish eats the little fish. But really, it's just a random number going si- as sideways as all hell. And Fitch even comments like, did we even solve right, anything yeah. here? What did we do? Um, he's like, we just got, people got right. shot and we didn't really do anything. Um, that being put up with one of the most pivotal yeah. points in John's life just feels like, mm, there's, I don't know. I'm not going to say it doesn't feel earned, but it just doesn't, it doesn't like, yeah ring as true as it should have i get what they're doing i'm just not in love with that the the only thing that i felt was kind of interesting in the number plot was the concept of having somebody who is both perp and victim yeah which we've sort of seen done better before though even yeah Yeah. like elias i agree with all that in general i think this episode suffers from a lot of plot points that are not particularly original and are not as well executed as the other times we've seen them in this show. So you're just kind of like, I don't care. I don't like these characters. I, I, the only part of this episode I really want is to go back to the flashback. So you just don't engage with the, the current story, the current timeline story at all. Yeah. It's yeah. It's one of the things just the flashback is so much more interesting. Yeah. Also, um, I want to talk about specifically like the idea of the flashback and what's going on here. So like a yeah. banger RPG scenario, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay, we need you to go into a ghost town where something mysterious has happened and you need to go bring out a case. Um, yeah. Well, especially with the twist. Oh, let's talk about that. Amongst the bodies you encounter, you encounter somebody. He is still yeah. moaning. You flip him over, and he asks yeah. and then for the, help. the warrior in the party just goes up and pushes him out of his him. misery, just like, ah. Kara is absolutely a murder hobo. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I would, like, this is totally, yeah. like, this is a Knight's Black Agents yeah, scenario. Yeah, yeah. If you ever want to run Knight's Black Agents uh, POI, Ooh, I'm in. Nice. I mean, if you think, if, if I'm running a game for you and you think this is the scenario, you don't know. Um... <laughs> <laughs> and shut up and l- just shut up and let me run my game. It's just it's a fun setting. It's it's weird. It's desolate. I love a ghost. Yeah, I love a good modern. Yeah, it's a, it's a real wild setting. I have some real beef with John's, and I and we'll get into it more in the next episode. But John's whole like macho save the girl thing is not my favorite storyline. So his whole motivation of mm-hmm. like I gotta get back to my woman. 
thing here is not my favorite. But then he gets this order to like kill Kara and he's just waffling on it. And then she just straight up shoots him. And I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's because John still at least attempts to have a soul. <laughs> whereas, um, you know what? Lana, headphones. <laughs> Where we're going to see in season two, uh, in season two and further things with Kara. Kara does not have a soul. Has Lana seen all of season two? <laughs> Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Um, we should say something about season three just to, to make up for the. Yeah, I, I I can't think of a specific plot point for that to, to further roll. We we were talking about something for season two, and I forgot that you'd see this already. I was just referring to the fact that Kara doesn't have a soul. Oh, right, right. And we see how yeah. quickly we see how quickly her loyalties change. Because I was like, haven't I seen the conclusion? Haven't I seen to like. A critical point in uh, season right, two. Yeah, maybe. What else do we get? The only thing, maybe not, is uh, this episode does introduce the briefcase, and I don't remember where the briefcase comes back into the story. I don't either because I haven't been watched. Like I, I I'm watching episodes as Same. we record. Well, Anna, have you seen? I've seen it in season two. Okay, so you 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 know where the briefcase, what the briefcase is, then. Is because there's the episode with all the negotiations and stuff with the like, like hacker dude mm-hmm. that may not be the same briefcase, but like maybe it is. Okay. Uh, well, yeah. So it's a briefcase. M- very minor spoiler that the the briefcase is important, uh, and we will learn later that it has that there's a lot more going on with this briefcase than just a briefcase, and it obviously is related to the machine somehow. And the the whole scenario is wild though because like. What even happened in that town, right? I mean, we find that, that we learn more about that later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it's it's an interesting open question at this point. Yeah. Because well, and like, it's certainly they the place has already been trashed, and like, and yet it's still sitting there in its briefcase in its Faraday cage. Yeah, and to make it worse, it's apparently the CIA apparently wants it just destroyed, and more than that, they want everyone who touches it killed. Like they're willing to sacrifice two yeah. very qualified operatives just to make sure that this thing is destroyed and done with. Yeah, and I think I think that that's what the purpose is behind having um, setting John and Kara against each other is essentially keeping them distracted from trying to think about like what actually happened here, and that's kind of weird. It's possible. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a good point. I, I, it's it's something that's talked about in a future in a future episode. I think it's twenty two, um, but the 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 knowledge of the machine is treated as sickness. Yeah, and that if you if you are infected, you are a potential infection vector. And I mean, there are a large number of names that will will get popped up. Um, in season two, we're going to hear the name Northern Lights yep. a lot, <laughs> but it is, it is the idea of the only the only thing that is done for you know outside of the you know there there the the list of people who are supposed to know about the machine a very very small list yeah and any any risk to that is is very is treated very hostily yeah i want to say that like there's an implication even that like the president uh, is not does not know the machine's existence. I want to say that's a thing that's implied in later seasons. I don't remember. I'm pretty sure that there's an episode that I could ref that that says that directly. 
Okay. I, I was like, I was trying to remember that because I'm like, it, it, it's a. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else do we have to say about this episode? I think it's one of those things where it's just like, dang, B plot was so much better than the A plot that it's. Uh, yeah. Makes things a little. It, it, it overshadows things. Well, we do know that John's not the only person who enjoys yeah. kneecapping people. Yeah. Yeah. Now we know where he learned it from. Exactly. I think it's wild to see soft boy baby John. And then see Mission John and see how he and then like apply Kara to soft boy baby John and see how, what and see how Mission John came out and like to see how that combination resulted in Mission Time John. Like that, I think, is one of the most interesting parts of these these last few flashback episodes is watching how she mm-hmm. turned him into what the John that we see through the application of her particular brand of sociopathy. Okay, so I do have two things from the mo- from the modern day stuff that I like. Uh in the opening in like the opening scene or one of the, the first scenes, John explains to Carter like sort of kind of how the machine works. And he tosses her into the deep end of like that guy that guy's going to get shot at in like one minute, <laughs> which is very fun. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then Fusco, who is now deep in HR, who HR is taking to shaking down random like people for money because they are uh, they are hurting now that Elias is out of the game. They're shaking down like random store owners and taking over production duties for a lot of the city. And Fusco asks John, well, what should I do with my cut? Because he's and it, it's like he's he feels bad about it. He's like, this is dirty money. What should I do with it? And John's and John's response is, yeah. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. Because he's like, I. Yeah. one thing that I think it's, we haven't talked a lot about is that, like, John actually fairly decently, like, at least with Fusco, John does what is, I would consider, pretty good asset handling with Fusco. Like, Carter less so, because Carter is a more complicated person. Yeah. Uh, but Fusco, he's just like... I just need to, mas- like, it's like, I need to massage your paranoia and just, like, keep you working and slightly happy. I'm going to disagree with you. And here's why. The reason why Fusco turns out to be a workable asset for John has nothing to do with John and everything to do with the fact that they put him on the desk across from Carter. I mean, that's fair. Um, I that's part, I, I, I would I would argue that that is... And I don't think uh, you're going to say that that's because John, like that John put him there. Well, no, but Harold put him there. Well, Harold put him there. But I think that was. Yeah, I think they put him there to, to keep an eye on Carter. But I don't think they put him there with the intent that Carter would make him a better cop and a, a more moral person. Because I don't think either of them thought that he was a moral enough person to learn from Carter. I think I, I think the thing that they were surprised by is that. Fusco is actually a good person. Yeah. And then he's actually good at his job. That's one of the things that I think that yeah. they were surprised by. Because, like, if you take him out of that environment where he's just surrounded by corruption, like, he actually yeah. is a decent detective. Yeah. I, th- I think that it, like, I think that it's a combination of things, some of which they could not foresee. But I think, like, the actual, like... Like especially in the in this part in this back half of the season where we've got the God, what's the what yeah. we're parrot trapping of? Yeah. Like I think like Carter less so, but Fusco is like handled pretty well. I think of like like as an asset, like Fusco is going through actual problems, and there are times when 
Harold and John are very hands off with him, and they're like, "No, oh, yeah, I trust you to deal with that." And th- and they're very selective about the times they actually like interfere and like like, okay, I'm going to shoot a person for yeah. you. <laughs> I I guess I think yeah, I look at it a different way, which is that Fusco is their asset, and I think there's a lot of times where John is very callous with the position that he's put Fusco into because his assumption. Yeah, like all the when when he's like when Fusco's like, do you want me to help you with the current case or do you want me to stay on HR? Because like, I only have so many hours in the day, and John's like, figure it out. That is, I would say, I like this. This is the thing where I'm like, I'm going to put the benefit of the doubt on the characters. Yeah, because it's like yeah. I th- because part of it is like what John is doing is basically is basically doing a thing where he it's like. Because he's not he's not trying to manipulate an operative. He is trying to earn asset. He's trying to foster a positive relationship. He's trying to like say like, I trust you with this, uh, and I don't want you to get too attached on me. I, I see. That's where I disagree. I think in the early stages, I don't think John cares about Fusco. I I, I think it's only into this stage here. I think we're only just. Well, I think like I think it now. I think by now. Yeah, I think it's all, and I think it's only in the most recent air in the, in like the end of season one into season two that he actually starts treating Fusco with a, it's as as once if, he gets back into HR. Yeah, it's I think that's the only that's only when he starts treating Fusco like Fusco is uh, part of the team really and is uh, like not just a dirty cop that he's got under his thumb. Right. It's because like, well, it, it's it's once he's back in HR, he has proven his loyalty as an asset, basically, yeah. in this, in this yeah. instance. If Reese, if, if Reese was like a foreign operative would say, OK, you are you have killed someone to protect yourself from being found out as our thing. You are ours forever now. Yeah, that is how like, you know. Yeah. That, and so I, I like John is operating off a benevolent view of that. <laughs> where like yeah. in the first time it's like i where it is entirely a one-sided relationship john is just take 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 yeah another another good thing with fosco in this episode is that he does get to rescue john for once which i always yeah that's nice of yeah uh although there is one of the funniest lines in like this whole season where fosco and john are talking and john says something like well, this is why I picked you because you're a talented liar, and all of us watching the television are like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure he picked Fusco because Fusco, because he was unconscious, and Fusco was the one that was in the car with it. God. Yeah. <laughs> also, also, Fusco is a terrible liar. Yeah, I I, lo- I love that little thing where he's like. What am I supposed to do? You know, if I don't show up there, they're going to assume I stole it. John's just like, why? Yeah. Uh, the, the HR captain also who gets off to this episode, uh, just like, I, I like, I don't it. know. He, I deserves it. Yeah. I, and just like, like we've seen him. I, I'm pretty sure we did. We know his face, but man, is there an actor you could more ever t- cast as a corrupt cop? Yeah. Seriously. Or a corrupt city official. Yeah. Agreed. It's it's I'm sorry. It's just if you're a New Yorker and you're over 40 and you're male, it's just mm-hmm. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's it's your lot in life in Hollywood. In my and we're going to get more Kara. And like as the season ends in the next season where we really see her what she's up to. But um, 
Yeah, no, she's cool. Um, the outfit she's wearing at the end of the episode of the hotel is stellar. Anytime somebody, like, anytime somebody in a modern setting is wearing gloves while handling a firearm is just mm, very good. <laughs> and the more fashion you make it, the better. Yeah. Is this also the first time we get to see, I, I cannot remember her name, uh, the White House spook? No, we've seen her before in okay. flashbacks. Okay. Yeah. I. Uh, it's just been so long since we've had one of those. Yeah. I'm like, wait. But, it, but this does serve as, as a good reminder that she exists going into the next couple of episodes. Yeah, because yeah, she's going to be important in the last two. Yeah. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. All right. Take us away. Well, I think I've got the next one yep. here. Yes. Uh, Many Happy Returns, uh, written by Eric Mountain and... Well, story by Eric Mountain and Jonathan Nolan, teleplay by Eric Mountain, and directed by Frederick E. Otoye. Hey, it's John's birthday! Uh, so as a present, Harold gives him a little black box, which, tragically for us Gerald chippers, uh, contains a key rather than a ring. It's not even a key to Harold's place, come on. More importantly, though, he tells John that there's no number today, and thus he can take the day off. Yeah. This is, of course, a lie. There's a number, just not one that Harold wants John to help with. A fugitive named Karen Garner is in danger this time, and Harold enlists Fusco's help in protecting her, since Carter is busy with the B-plot. Until she gives Fusco the slip, and Harold returns to the bar, where she works to try to find her, where he is then intercepted by a Marshal, Jennings, who wants to find Karen, and has to be rescued by Reese, who is pretty pissed off about being left out of the fun. Back at the library, Harold explains that the machine has indirectly flagged Karen as a victim of domestic abuse, and they find out that her real name is Sarah Jennings. The marshal is in fact her husband, who fabricated her crimes when she left him. Sarah gets captured by her husband after evading Reese, but John arrives in the nick of time to save her and drive off with the marshal in his trunk. Carter intercepts him on her way back from the B-plot, and unsuccessfully tries to convince John not to murder the dude. But it turns out that he didn't kill the marshal after all, just handed him over to the Mexican authorities with a shit ton of drugs in the trunk. <laughs> Classic John. Yep. Finally, uh, we find out what Harold's actual birthday gift was, an actually nice apartment for John, right by the park where he spends his time off. And in the B-plot, our favorite FBI weasel, Donnelly, has connected John's DNA to a crime scene in New Rochelle and thinks it was John's first contract killing. Carter joins him in investigating and realizes that the victim there was Jessica's husband. And all this happened after Jessica died, nominally in a car crash, but probably as a result of domestic abuse. She also finds out that Jessica and John were once involved and gets enough information to find out who John actually is and then shreds it to protect him. In flashbacks, we see exactly what happened in New Rochelle. John shows up in response to Jessica's phone call, but was too late as she's already dead. He breaks into her house and realizes how she really died and who's responsible her husband. Jessica's husband, Peter, threatens Reese with a poker, and Reese attacks him, leading to the case that Donnelly and Carter were here to investigate. I think this is an episode that, like, I think is, like, it's fine, but there are, like, a couple, like, the the subject matter of it is makes it a very skippable episode on a rewatch. Yeah. And I have a hot take here. The Mexican prison is dumb. It is incredibly stupid, yeah. and it completely defangs the episode. And it's 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 like it's the it's the plausible deniability of like no 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 John didn't really kill all of those other people he just he just dumped them in Mexico with heroin. Oh, see, 
I, my head cannon is that 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 guy that the doctor was going to kill. John didn't really kill him. He's just in Mexico. See, my head cannon is that the marshal is actually like dead in the swamp somewhere, and that John just has a guy in Mexico that like w- <laughs> makes this call to Carter to to like pacify Carter, reassure yeah. her. That's a decent head cannon. Uh, I have a question. It, does this count as a fridging? Absolutely. Um, I think it does in the sense that it's killing a female character to provide motivation for a male character, for a, a central male character. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's the thing of like, you, usually I would say that a fridging is something that occurs in like the first act of a story to provide motivation through through that. I mean... And it kind of indirectly does, right? Right. Like, in the first episode, we know that John had this this wonderful lover, Jessica, and now she's dead. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, we've always known that she's dead. Yeah. This is not... Yeah. Uh, this is not new. We just find out how she died. Yeah, usually I, usually I think the fridging is done to, like, intentionally provoke this, but... They're like, honestly, I'll, I'll yeah, I'm not going to argue it. It, it. It's got the vibes. Yeah. And yeah. honestly, I think I think fridging a lot of the time can be done to a smell test. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because yeah. Jessica's only characterization was uh, didn't wait for John. Yep. yep. Uh, I have complex thoughts, not complex thoughts. I have a few thoughts about John's whole like macho hardwire about uh being super ragey about abused women i don't hate it like in theory but it does come across as very i don't know i mean am i is it just is that just me or am i like reading too much into this it just feels very yeah it's like it's the thing where john is like excessively macho i don't know i i the the scene where reese goes like absolutely unhinged on the marshal in the marshal's office is like kind of hilariously bonkers and is some pretty wild foreshadowing for some other stuff that we can't talk about yet. But I don't know. I I just don't love it. Um, I think it's, I think it's an episode that like, yeah, it, it's a little, there are points of it where it's a little too extreme. It, it's a little too melodramatic. Maybe that's a good way. That's, of that's, that's why. Yeah. And like, and it legitimately should have a content warning on it for once. Yeah. Once the marshal has captured Sarah and they're in and they're yeah. in the motel room. Yeah, that's a like that's some that's some stuff. That's some rough stuff. Um, and then when when um John arrives and the this fucker gives his like monologue on love. And it just like makes my skin crawl. Yeah. And then it uh, beats the all holy shit out of him, which is nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do appreciate that uh, this episode, uh, Reese increases his phony badge collection to two. So now he can be a yeah. cop yes. or a marshal and he will just continue to flash those willy nilly. I love that. I, yeah, I don't know, man. The only part of this episode that I think lands the way it's supposed to is the is the end where we see that Finch was there when Reese discovered that Jessica was dead and that Jessica had been a number. That yeah. part, I think, hits yeah. exactly right. Everything else about this episode feels like it's either too macho or just off slightly. Yeah, the the other the other bit that works pretty decently is when Finch is explaining to Reese. Uh, yeah. Like how how he was how he figured out 
what mm-hmm. how the mo- machine shows domestic abuse, which is that the same number comes up again and again and again and again and again, yeah. which is horrifying. Yeah, yeah, and unlike some of the other stuff, I thought that that was horrifying in a good way. Yeah, no, yeah, in in the yeah, exactly. I think that's a really good way of putting it, and it's really well acted as well on um on Finch's part that like that you know as he's like that he's kind of giving like the mea culpa of like I don't know how I didn't realize this and now I feel awful. Yeah, he nails that scene for sure. And that I wonder I wonder if Jessica was the point at which he realized what that sort of pattern actually meant. Mm, maybe, yeah. I also find it really interesting that all three of John, Jessica, and her husband were all members. Ooh, yeah. Good point. And like the, the Herald in the wheelchair just like looking like forlorn and lost at John as he walks away. It's just like, mm, mm, it's good stuff there. Yeah. Yeah. Also, man, John really should have listened to Harold back back in the rear window episode when Harold was talking about that the the pillow. Man knows what he's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I I will say that uh this is I I'm glad that this is like the last episode before the the season turns up the heat. I flipped ahead and looked at what what we've got coming up for the last for the next couple episodes and it's nice that we finally are getting like the plot um, we've talked about the past, the way that this show like is a combination of like procedural and then the increasing like AI shenanigans. Uh, and season one, we've been in kind of the procedural doldrums here for the last few episodes. Yeah. And this is kind of the last yeah. of it. Once it turns this corner into the end of season one, it just picks up speed from here. We get the yeah. odd episode here and there, but for the most part, it's all gas from here on out till the, you know, going forward. I mean, there's only two episodes left in the season, so we get that, <laughs> and then we get a nice little, we get a nice, it's basically four episodes of, like, good machine plot stuff, and yeah. uh, don't worry, don't worry, listeners, we'll get to the doldrums of season two. That happens, too. Yeah, but they're not as bad and the doldrums, doldrums of season though. two hit pretty pretty fast yeah but they're not as they're at least more interesting episodes and they're i don't think it lasts as long as season except for that hitman one yeah well there's no redeeming yeah no there's no redeeming it but we'll we'll get there there there's a lot of like individual forgettable episodes in seasons two and three i think yeah but we'll get there it'll just be in three months from now yeah (laughs) (laughs) there there are some good john and harold moments like yeah you know, as, as much as i joke about like you know oh the the little black velvet box what's in there um yeah, yeah. that we've got the harold being like very pointedly i respect your privacy john when it he clearly doesn't because he found an apartment for the man that's right by where he spends his free time i'm going to say that is a shitty choice of apartment for john it's the windows right it's the windows. Those are those are like no no person who was a spy is going to live in a place with that many with those the, yeah that huge of windows. Yeah, like that is my <laughs> that is my like one thing about that is like ooh no yeah you know no. that John sleeps in the closet if he if he actually does yeah. in fact sleep in that apartment. <laughs> yeah, it's like he's like where is what is a room with like the tiniest window and, yeah. and it's like no the bed's just in the middle of this open concept that has like this fuck off like olympic sized pool sized window yeah looking out to it and i'm like yeah nah john is like john is building a pillow like is building like a bunker in that apartment yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, apparently he makes like an absurd amount of money working for for Finch. So maybe he just has somebody come in and put like bulletproof metal siding up up on the inside of the of the glass. Well, I was going to say that, you know, maybe maybe that was part of, you know, part of the apartment renovations was replacing the windows with bulletproof bulletproof glass. Right, but even still, he's not going to want people like, like it's it's an easy yeah. way to it's spy psychological. on people. Psychological. Yeah. Yeah. It's just sight lines, sight lines. Need, need some real good blackout curtains. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't have to be like theater curtains. Yeah. And now, and now I'm imagining like Harold coming into that apartment and being like, "What did you do to it?" Yeah. As it's just the the big lovely windows are just covered in like five layers of light and sound dampening fabric. Yeah. yeah. There's a flashback at the start of this episode. And we get the return of the fucking awful beard. Oh, that's right. Him on the bus. <laughs> I had to call it I had to call it out, yeah. Yeah, him on the bus, like yeah. bleeding on the bus talking to the kid. Where it's just like it's like the it's like the the worst pube beard ever. Uh, I have yeah, I have questions like, about this. It's but, like he grew a beard, shaved it off, and then glued, and then it back glued on. the shaved off bits back yeah. on. It's so terrible. I hate it. If yeah, uh, we get we get some good Carter stuff here, though, that like we once again have her being like very good at her job and figuring out mm-hmm. like what happened to Jessica. Yeah. In a way that apparently nobody else did. And Donnelly is just like, I don't fucking care. Like, did he shoot that person or not? Donnelly is so yeah. bad at his job. I God bless him. He wants. He's like so close to being. Yeah, right, he's. And yet he's the guy that goes to that, that goes to the batting cage. And fouls every ball. Like he hits them all, but he fouls them all. And you're just like, buddy, like (sighs) insert baseball term here to fix your swing. I don't know baseball, but like, I don't know, choke up on the bat. That's a thing I think I heard in in little league. I don't know. Do something to your swing, but like you're fouling them all off. They're not going anywhere. Like fix your shit. He's like the guy who can see. He's like the guy who could like see every piece of the puzzle but puts them all at 90 degrees wrong (laughs) like they still lock in at some points yeah it's like he views everything through his preconceptions of what Mm -hmm. of what john he's already decided what the situation is he's just jamming facts in to make it fit yeah (sighs) we can make metaphors about how wrong donnelly is all night yeah no (laughs) it's um He's a straight white man who's I, sure he's right. Well, it's it's interesting because we've got two characters at this point who are both trying to do the same thing with John, which is mm-hmm. like find him, reveal him or whatever. Like Snow has just been taken off the board and we've really only got like half a season left of Donnelly. And then these characters sort of stop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think actually that's an interesting, interesting point of the three people that try and find John. Who do we have? Carter. We have Carter, Snow, and Donnelly. Two tepid white men who are unsuccessful. (laughs) And then Carter, a black woman who more or less accomplishes her goal. I'm not sure that the creative team was like going out of its way to make a statement with that fact, but I appreciate that that is what ended up happening. Uh, hold on. Let, let, let's. We need an intro for this segment. I think we should call it Baja Bits. Mm-hmm. 
Baja Bits. Nice. I approve. Uh, I appreciate that uh, Anna just held up a, a can of Baja Blast. We have successfully infected her with uh, the sickness. Uh, I definitely drank a can of the Baja Blast energy drink this morning uh, and felt vaguely sick to my stomach uh, for about two hours. Oh, God. So, I have a que- so, I, so I've got a question. You guys just like order that online or? No, the 7 Eleven. I got it. it at my local God. giant. God, I'm. I am so okay. We're, we're gonna we're, we're done with this we're episode anyway. Here. We're done. We can talk yeah, about we're, Baja we're, Blast now. First of all, I can't find Baja Blast in any like grocery stores around here. I'm sorry. And like, I can't find it over here. Like, I can get it from Taco Bell, but that involves me going to Taco Bell. And well, that's you not know, the fun part. The fun part right now is that there's Baja Blast in all these weird places. Yeah, and and so that's not fun. Yeah, like um, and so and the other thing is that. Both of like, like all of my local Seven Elevens have stopped carrying Arizona. I told you this story, what? right? I wasn't that. The, isn't that the purpose of a Seven Eleven? Yeah, I, I'm. Is to carry Arizona. I the, see. The Seven yeah. Eleven near my house. When they stopped doing this, like last year, the woman working there tried to tell me that Arizona was going out of business, and that was why they weren't carrying Arizona anymore. I was like, listen. Between 7-Eleven going out of business and Arizona going out of business, I guarantee you 7-Eleven will go first. Yeah. And and since they're ceasing to carry Arizona, th- that may be in their future. Yeah. I like there are two concepts in my life, Arizona iced tea and a Costco Polish being a dollar fifty. Yeah. <laughs> Which yes. like I, I was able to get I, I was I picked up uh, a peach tea over at Bevmo. But I'm just like, am I really at the point where I'm considering like ordering like a 24 pack of each off Amazon? Do it. The <laughs> Arizona iced tea is one of the golden accomplishments of the last 20 years of our culture. It is a perfect beverage that has been maintained at its price point because the owner of the company has a, a soul. Yeah, uh, it's fantastic. I go through so fucking much of that stuff it's ridiculous absolutely i i I support you entirely in in your quest to amazon yourself a fuck ton of baja blast and amazon arizona iced tea but what if you combined them oh that might be too dangerous this might be crossing the streams here yeah that might be crossing (laughs) the streams but i'm now i'm curious okay uh that's the end of baja bits baja bits let's wrap this episode up Yep. Uh, so next week is going to be our season one finale. These are going to be our last two episodes, 22 and 23 of season one. No good deed and firewall. Firewall is going to be so fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's going to be a good time until next time. Be seeing ya. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share alike no derivatives license. We are moments away from going down a uh, a jellicle hole, which I don't want to do. Um, uh, I, I you think had jellic- to phrase it that way, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. the jellicle hole. I think that's what we saw in the. Uh...
the, the butthole edits there. Um, 